Draft Week here on the People Show. Get set for a fun week across the NHL. Coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear, and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I'm Bick, Dom, Elon, running the show today. You, as always, involved. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Boys, good weekend. Good weekend all around. Getting some head nods here about uh, festive weekends. Nothing? You guys got nothing to share? All right. They're somber. They're somber. Because just like the rest of the world, they're, they're waiting for things here. to happen. They're waiting for things to happen. It's like, hey, the, the show's starting and... We need things to happen. Well, the rest of the NHL is kind of just sitting back and saying, where are the trades? It, it started hot on Saturday, and I thought maybe, all right, here we go. Now now we're going. Rijo gets traded. Jersey gets traded. Here comes the avalanche of moves we've been waiting for. Not to make a joke on the Colorado Avalanche who acquired Ryan, J- Ryan Johansson. But then things slowed down on Sunday. Today we get the Taylor Hall trade. And still, everything's just kind of waiting for things to drop across the league. But here we are, hours away from the NHL entry draft. Two days away. And still, uh, not enough traction. Uh, not even just for my liking, because we want moves. It spurs conversation. It engineers discussion amongst fans. Who's getting better? Who's getting worse? That's what this is all about at this time of the year. But for your Vancouver Canucks, what do you need to happen before you get to the styles of moves that are more in the range of what Vancouver can actually accomplish this offseason? Because when a trade happens, the immediate reaction is, well, how come Vancouver didn't get involved in that? Or what does this mean for the Vancouver Canucks now that a Taylor Hall has been moved? Or could Vancouver have gotten in on that? But really, when you look at it, and, and what is then the, the template of this offseason? Shedding money. Shedding money has been the conversation for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford and fans alike. How will they move off some money to enable themselves to engineer the next types of transactions that you want to see? Or this team starts to get better then? And I was thinking about it today, once the Taylor Hall move happened... How many players in the market right now, trade market, free agent market, how many guys do you think have to, their transactions have to be resolved before a team goes, all right, let's get in on Besser and Garland. Now we're at a stage where we can start to entertain the idea of missing out on our primary targets. Let's circle back to what else is available. And now let's choose a Brock Besser or a Connor Garland, if that's what Vancouver's trying to do. I feel like it's more Garland than Besser, but let's just kind of break it down. To me, they're they're kind of in the certain range. And Taylor Hall going, especially to Chicago, I think is probably good for Vancouver. We'll get to that in a second. But I think there's at least 11 names. At least. Maybe as many as 16. 
wingers whose situations have to get resolved before a team, I think, entertains the idea of going after a Connor Garland. And I'll just list off a couple of names. So Taylor Hall is one. That one's off the list. But there's already talk like Alex DeBrinket's name is out there. No one's going to say, hey, we got Connor Garland before Alex DeBrinket. No one's going to do that. So you're going to go through the process of checking in with Ottawa and saying, hey, where are you guys at with DeBrinket? Maybe he stays, but it does look like more and more likely that DeBrinket will find a new home. But that situation needs to get resolved prior to the Canucks opening up some cap space. And this is when you get into that conversation of as teams start to explore elsewhere, does it push Vancouver and Patrick Alvin to attach assets to a Connor Garland to try to get off of it? How do you have to incentivize teams and how much do you have to incentivize teams to move up this list to solve other teams' problems? Travis Konechny, we, we look what Philadelphia is trying to do. Their trade this weekend with St. Louis doesn't go down, even though they're clearly efforting. But it's his name out there and certainly ahead of Connor Garland or Brock Besser. Throw out Tyler Toffoli, Tyler Bertuzzi, a free agent. You can argue, hey, which player is better? I personally really like Tyler Bertuzzi. But the fact that it's a free acquisition changes the conversation of what an acquiring team and how they should prioritize finding a middle six functional top-line style player versus trading for someone that is on your Vancouver Canucks roster. And then you can th- – look, I know Patrick Kane's injured, and it's going to take some while for him to get back on the ice. But the reward of a Patrick Kane is bigger than a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser. So that situation has to resolve. You're looking at it and then throwing in like an Ayafalo whose name was rumored over the weekend. Even names we haven't even thought about yet. Is William Nylander? You know, there's some names, some talk about, hey, coming up on July 1st, if Tree Living can get it done, uh, an extension done, then that situation's resolved. But if they move him, William Nylander is going to fetch far more and be more in demand than anything Vancouver has to offer. 650-650, come in with your thoughts as well and your trade ideas. That's what this time of year is all about. Uh, This one, uh, Connor and Harrison, if Benson's still available 11 and we pass on him, I'm going to cry like a baby. Uh, That's going to be tomorrow's topic. Like, who's on your crush list that if they pass on your player, you're going to be devastated? Because i got to be honest. Like, I I have my favorites – but I think there's 17 guys that I think if the Canucks pick, I'm cool with. Clearly, I've got a certain preference. But if it's one of 17, I'm okay. Not going to make complaints. because I think there's 17 real first-line players or top four D-men. You look at it and you say, hey, if we have one of these 17 guys, we have a problem solved. So that'll be tomorrow's discussion. But... Benson would be on that list. If, if they pass one of the 17 for somebody else, then I'm going to be a little bit devastated. But certainly there are guys. Like, I have Axel Sandin Palika in the group of 17. Now, he's not my favorite of the 17, but if they took him, it's like, all right, there's a real high-level trait to this player. But that's something we'll get into tomorrow. Uh, 650-650. Uh, keep coming with your thoughts. Always involved in the people show. Uh, this one, do you know when teams can talk to unrestricted free agents? Officially, July 1st. Unofficially, hey, as long as you don't get caught. Can't be caught tampering. You could also give permission, like in the Lucic scenario. Yes. 
you can get permission, especially when it comes to acquiring, uh, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, that's going to be a very much, uh, can we get permission to talk to the player uh, prior to the trade? So you can get permission. But uh, again, officially, July 1. But you notice like whenever the clock opens, deals are done like within four seconds. You think they just magically arrive at those numbers? They're like, first offer, yes! No, no, there's some uh, friendly ways to, to solve it. We need to bring back the legal tampering period. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro, uh, you know, because we do that at jobs, too. You, you think the exec at Pepsi is like, oh, I'm going to go for a promotion over at Coke, but I'm just going to jump out of the plane without knowing where I land. Well, there's no governing body of soft hey, drinks. It's a bit hey, different. I'm just saying. These are human beings just getting paid to work, too. Uh, Colin from the Caribou, giving away assets to move off Besser, Garland, or Myers would be as sensible as the OEL trade was. Uh, we are not in our window. Hang on to those players. Flip them near the deadline when you can get something back. Uh, Sam is also texting in. Passing on Zach Benson would be like passing on Mitch Marner, 656.50. I'm sorry. Can we just pause on that one about waiting until the trade deadline to, mm-hmm. to trade those players? You're talking about a team that's looking to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If we get to that point and those players are productive, they're not just going to sell at the deadline. Um, Myers, I can. I, I think Myers has got. Sure, I'm talking about Garland and Bess. Yeah, that's a little different. Like if they're having success, it's going to be a lot different. But hey, to, to call in the Caribou's point, it's like you hung on to those guys; they're better now, so you still got your reward out of it. So he wants to hang on to them. Yes. So. You, I get that. Yeah. I'm just saying you're not going to flip, then fl- sell at the mm-hmm. deadline if you're trying to make playoffs. Uh, 650, 650. A lot of good thoughts coming into the inbox. Uh, if you have prospect questions, uh, we're going to talk to Derek Newmeyer in the second half of the show, assistant uh, director of scouting uh, for McKeon's Hockey at Derek underscore N underscore NHL. A double underscore. I love it. Love it. Uh, Derek Neumeyer uh, will join us in the second half of the show. So if you got last-minute questions, uh, someone outside the first round maybe, because, uh, look, the Canucks will continue to pick. It's not just about 11th pick. It's uh, what's going on in rounds three and four when they have five selections in those two rounds. We'll see if they ultimately stay with five. Got a feeling they'll try to move up. But there's other spots where the Canucks can uh, try to mine draft value. Uh, you can get your questions on, on some players uh, into the – Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dave and Burnaby. As the commissioner of the Soft Drink Association, I'm offended. Coming in strong to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. there was inbox. like a governing body of soft drinks? Why not? Would be FDA. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, just back to the wingers that, again, re- just really quickly, ahead of, like, for, for, for me, uh, ahead of Brock Besser and Connor Garland. So you can throw in Brinkett, Konechny, Toffoli's name is in there, Bertuzzi, Bunting, Tarasenko, Domi, Tatar. Again, some of these guys are because of their situations. You don't have to give up anything for them. Would you rather, like a team, pending on where they are in their cycle, would you rather get Tatar for two years or try to acquire Brock Besser for term? or a Connor Garland for term. I can see a team buying buying into the idea of Tatar for two years is a lot easier to stomach than multiple seasons of Connor Garland. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, keep coming with your 
text. Dom, you're sounding very salty, my dude. Tone is everything. Can you say um, the position of, of Brock Besser just for Elon and I? Winger? Yeah. Why did I say it weird? You say it funny. Winger? Yeah. You put a lot of emphasis on the ing. I'm not going to lie. Winger. Winger. It, it's, it's. How do you say it? Winger. That sounds exactly No, it doesn't. Winger. It doesn't. Winger? Winger. Not winger. Could you're be just, a bit of a reach. It's okay. You're, ha- yeah. you're hung up on the G, my friend. Winger. It, there it is. Winger. This is like what Randy. The G, the G is like the, the, the fundamental part of it. I don't know. If you drop the G, it's just whiner. This is like when Randy said iron instead of iron. It's. Anyway, continue. You're hung up on something, man. The texture is right. You're, you're, you're sounding very salty today, Dom. Oh, yeah. For, for those that don't know, Dom's got a sticker on his uh, laptop that says, stay salty. He just uh, propped it up against the glass. So, yes, you're, you're, you're on point as far as... Uh, I'm adding some spice. <laughs> you're adding some spice. Uh, all right. So, uh, Canucks don't acquire uh, Ryan Johansson. Did they miss out? It was literally nothing. Alex Galchenyuk, which is a name I uh, haven't thought about in a long time. Did they miss out? Uh, yes and no. Now, it depends what role you're crafting out. If you want him to play, like, the domino effect of acquiring Ryan Johansson, if it was to happen for the Vancouver Canucks, if it were to happen, rather, I don't know if you can put him in a third-line role. Now, if you want to discuss, because we're, we're having all these conversations about, like, a Barbashev comes in and spend X amount of dollars and put him on JT Miller's wing. If you want to discuss, hey, Ryan Johansson, you acquire him, put him in a second-line role, and instead of spending in free agency for your top six winger, now JT Miller goes to the wing, then, yeah, they really missed out. It was a free asset at $4 million. And the thing I really don't understand from Nashville's point of view is Colorado in a year's time, let's just say it doesn't work out. And they're in a spot where next trade deadline, I'm not talking about this upcoming season, the, the 2024 trade deadline, or sorry, 2025 trade deadline, they could be in a spot where they say, hey, we'll retain on Ryan Johansson. We're going to go get a massive asset. That's the thing I, I, I look at. I'm just stunned by that Nashville wasn't willing to wait 18 months to really uh, cash in on this asset. That, to me, is the huge value in what Colorado did this weekend. But if you want them to play a third-line role, then I think they didn't really miss out. Role depends on how you see this move. And, look, would you rather Rijo at $4 million or I'm just going to use Barbashev? Barbashev on the wing at 5? It's an interesting conversation. I, I could slide either way on that one. But I think there's a price point for where Vancouver will spend on center that if you spend too much, it just you thrust that player into a second-line role. And now, because they only have space to spend on one position right now until they remove Connor Garland, if you spend too much on that center, you really put them into a second-line role, and you're going to have to move JT to the wing. And you don't get that chance to spend on a four-checking winger. That, 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 like that's part of the 
domino effect of what this offseason is uh, for Vancouver. What one decision, how does it influence the next ones? It's part of the, the sliding doors calculation Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford uh, have to do uh, this offseason. Uh, 650-650. Read, <laughs> read the text, Coward. Call it from Caribou. I sent this text in on February 9th. The station makes me question my understanding of the English language every day. The way Bix says winger or anything with ing with a hard G sound at the end. Listen for it in post game. He'll say winger. Grr. I don't think I'm saying it wrong at all. Then there's another text. No, I'm with Dom. I've heard Bix say the G too much. Sounds like Stewie emphasizing the whip and cool whip. Jarring. There's no way. <laughs> cool whip and winger. You're saying it funny. I'm, I'm saying it how I've literally always said it my whole Say life. Say winger. This is the first time in my life of 37 years of operation. <laughs> this is the first time quality control has strolled down from the high offices down to the assembly line to come up and say, hey, by the wing. Sorry, by the way, you're saying winger <laughs> wrong. I, I, said, I, I said wing instead of way. I screwed it up there. This is the first time in my life. Anybody has ever said, hey, the way Bick pronounces his G's is incorrect. Say winger. You know what? Out of protest, I'm done. I'm striking on the word. On Show's that word. over. Show's over. I, I'm going on strike for that word right now. Non-center forwards. <laughs> the non-center forward market. The outside guys. Is, is flooded. Yeah, the outside guys. <laughs> There was a trade today for a non-center forward, Taylor Hall. And how this actually influences Vancouver, too, and the overall trade market. I like the idea. Like I mentioned the uh, the group of players that are ahead of Besser and Garland. The oh, no. The non-center forwards. You're getting buried in the text line. Oh, sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to bring Quick say you. singer. You did singer. it again? Oh, my gosh. What's well, an I-N-G-E-R word? Singer. It's okay. Chris from Coquillum. It's like he's pronouncing a hard G, but not committing to it. <laughs> definitely off and definitely noticeable. <laughs> this is like Luke Bryan on, on Idol talking about singers. Sing-gers. I'm crying. Never in my life has this come up before. This is great, though. Uh, you kind of sound like that kid that hits dingers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, so am I, am I hitting it too softly or am I hitting it too hard? Way too hard. Literally a letter in the, the word. What was I saying now? This has completely derailed the show all of a sudden. Oh, Chicago. Them acquiring a... Taylor Hall today. So we've all been looking at Chicago as this team that needs to spend money to get up to the cap floor. Dom's losing it behind the glass today. Uh, we've all looked at them as a team that needs to like spend some dollars. But the worry for me has always been, are they going to spend on like the Mantha types, Kevin LeBanc, Fogel, or a Mike Hoffman? You know, the secondary assets that are on bloated contracts, maybe shorter term, and lifts them up to the floor. The fact that they went to that group that would be above Brock Besser and Connor Garland is 
really fascinating. They drew off the top of the deck rather than the bottom of the deck. And that shortens the list now of teams that need non-center forwards, that need forwards, wingers, that the Canucks are in the race for, that need to start eliminating this list, and now teams will start to look towards their own players. If Chicago had spent on an Armia or a Nino Niederreiter and looked at this and said, hey, we're, we're doing our job. We're, we're getting to the cap floor. We'll worry about actually building this team out in the future. The fact that they got someone good to help support Connor Bedard, which is part of this conversation too, is huge. Them drawing off the top of the deck changes the whole marketplace for what it means for DeBrincat, what it means for even Tyler Toffoli, and what it means for your Vancouver Canucks. Because now, teams that actually want to try to make hockey moves, another name has been stripped off the top of the list. And this is uh, Chicago, who, again, I think are approaching this right. Don't overspend in free agency. You got a chance to get a, you can still say marquee player. Is he high end? Is he is he in the top 15 of, wing, of wingers anymore? No. I, I can't not say the word anymore. I've got a huge complex about it now. I apologize. You've ruined it. You've ruined it for everyone. Just for you. Every time I say it now, it's like... A, did I say it right that time? Winger. You're rushing through it. It's like Worcestershire sauce. You just got to. You're, you're not even saying the G. You're overpronouncing. I'd rather over than underdo it. Well, a lot of people rather you would underdo it. Uh, all right. 650, 650. There's n- literally nobody texting in about hockey anymore. No, it's just the winger word. Literally nobody. Winger. Should I just go to break? You can if you want. We can talk about the Sedin thing quickly if you want. <laughs> Probably no time. Uh, we were going to talk about the uh, Sedin thing later. Sure. Okay. Uh, so if you didn't see the tweet from uh, Dan Murphy at Sportsnet Murph, Daniel Sedin apparently doing the back to back grouse or the multi grouse grind challenge did it 11 times. 11 times. First one was 52 minutes. Last one was 55 minutes. As if as if the 11 times thing wasn't enough. It's be, the time as well. It's not even like 52 minutes the first time. 55 the an, second. An hour 32 yeah. the 11th time. We already knew this, but their level of endurance is insane. It's out of this world. And... I, I bet if he was trying to do a peak time, the 52 would be a lot lower. Yes. Like a one-go run. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like sub-40. For sure. But to me, like, this is a great testament of things that we tend to overvalue sometimes when it comes to hockey. We always look at, like, skating, but like, oh, the speed. Endurance, to me, is... Such an underrated aspect. Yeah. And that's what like made these guys so great. It's not that you can do it. It's that I can do it at a certain level for how long is this? So 52 minutes times 11 runs. Plus whatever it took to take get down. So we're talking 13, 14 hours. That's crazy talk. 13, conservatively. That's a work day. Yeah. Plus. Well, plus. Plus overtime. It's Daniel Zine going 
Another game winner in overtime there for Daniel Sedin. We uh, we joked like, what was the ending point? Like, yeah. why why get to <laughs> eleven and say I'm done? If it was an hour forty and you're like, all right, I have nothing left. Yeah. It's fifty five minutes. Why did he decide to stop? And then we were joking around, and maybe it's like that scene from Forrest Gump where he's just running and running. Actually, it's kind of funny that you, you're you're Forrest Gumping it. Now we know. Anyway, um. So we, we thought he'd get to the end of the run. And he... I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. That's that's Daniel Sedin. Can you imagine getting psyched up to like do this event? You line up and Daniel shows up. <laughs> I would just go yeah. home. <laughs> it's over. Not winning this event. Look, see, he's like, welcome to the show, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine one of the Sedins having any sort of a cocky bone in their body, just like looking to the left and talking smack. No way. That that would be peak. That would be amazing. Just gets to the top. Yeah. First time. (laughs) Or like reaches down. Do you need help? (laughs) Need a hand? Why reach? (laughs) Why reach? Leave Richio alone. No, not Dan Riccio. Oh. <laughs> you reach someone up. Riccio wouldn't do the grouse grind. Multi-runs. This just speaks to how much you bully Riccio on the air. Apparently, I'm the That's new one that gets pushed mind. around here. Uh, 650, 650. I'll try to catch up on the texts coming into the inbox uh, as everyone uh, rips my performance. I'm here for it, though. I'm here for it. If if we have nothing about the show, if you take away nothing from the show other than accountability, then we're doing our job. Derek Newmeyer uh, is on the way uh, from McKean's assistant director of scouting. We'll talk to him about the NHL draft uh, and more uh, Daniel Sedin content on the other side. Here, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. We will connect with Derek Newmeyer in just a moment here from McKean's assistant director of scouting. NHL draft coverage brought to you by Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Honzik, Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash Tickets. Uh, let's give an update uh, of what's going on in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Rather than uh, read any just one, uh, I think we have a clip that uh, showcases it all. I ain't gonna lie, I'm getting cooked. <laughs> <laughs> That's every text right now. It's not true. It's like 60-40. John from the Big C. 
Bick, don't worry what all these morons say. Pronounce the words any way you want. Better than you all sounding like the same bunch of robots. And then Colin from the Caribou. I blame all your elementary and high, elementary and high school teachers that never had the heart to ever correct, correct your pronunciation of ing. Blame the educational system. I just I say it, I say it how I say it. It's not wrong. It's just a uh, I guess overpronouncing the G. <laughs> Sat said it's a uh, you're a hard G, so I guess that's a compliment. Uh, let's get into uh, what's happening this week for the NHL draft. Derek Newmeyer joining us from McKean's Assistant Director of Scouting. Derek, uh, I guess Merry Christmas. This is a fun week. <laughs> it really is like a second Christmas for me. Yeah, it's it's a little different, though. I mean, this is the culmination of more than a year of hard work, you know, watching these players, re-watching them countless times, analyzing them, you know, looking at numbers, talking to other scouts. So, it's it's fun, but it's also a little bit relieving just to finally see uh, all that hard work come to fruition. You know, we, we focus so much on what is every person that we bring on here, every guest, and I'm sure you, you, you get the enjoyment out of watching every one of these guys. And then the I think the fun part is having the battles amongst your whole group there over at McKean's to try to figure out what the list is. Like, how, how fun is that to get all the different perspectives rather than just your own and trying to build out the whole guide? You're right. It is a lot of fun. And it really does come down to um, who you work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could imagine in some situations, in some instances, these discussions might not be so fun. But luckily, I really like the team we have at McKean's. We've got some great scouts uh, spread across the globe in different countries. And overall, our our conversations have been very productive and and fun as opposed to uh, unnecessarily combative. So, yeah, even though we had some disagreements about you know, which player should be ahead of which other players. In the end, I think we all were happy with how our finalists turned out. Who was the, uh, the the most polarizing player for you this year? Um, It's hard to say if there was a single most polarizing player because there were a few guys that we had some discussions mm-hmm. on, uh, definitely. Um, Andrew Crystal was an interesting one. He's a guy that we had really high on our board early on in the season. Uh, he dropped quite a lot from where we started to where we have him now, which I think is in the 20s. I remember, I don't remember the exact spot. Uh, there are some people on our team who still, you know, are very, very high on him. Others who are a lot more skeptical. And uh, that seems to be the industry consensus on Crystal. I mean, we're not outliers in that regard. Everyone seems to have a wide range of opinions on him. Uh, they can all recognize the talent. Uh, there's an undoubted amount of skill there to him. But there are varying opinions as to how projectable that talent is and just how much of an impact he will be able to make in the NHL one day. I was saying earlier in the first segment, because uh, Canucks are picking at 11, um, I've got 17 guys. Like I like some guys more than others, obviously. But to me, there's 17 guys that I look at and say, if the Canucks were to pick any one of them, I'm cool with. Sure, I got my preference on a Jaeger or a Benson or a Smith, whatever. But to me, that, that top tier of players that we look at and say this guy's either going to be a first line or top four pairing D-men. How deep is that first kind of tier for you? Or or the the post-Bedard tier, basically? Um, Actually, it's really similar. Um, Personally, when I was doing this calculation not that long ago with my own personal list, and I had 16 different players that I would feel comfortable taking in the top 10. 
which is pretty darn good for the top half of this draft. And actually, it goes well into the second round as well. I had 47 names that I would consider to be first-round talents in this draft. So it's definitely very, very deep. It's a great year to trade down if teams feel confident in that approach. But, yeah, with the Canucks and their pick in particular, I mean, they have a lot of good options for where they could go. I think there's a need organizationally in the prospect pipeline for defense. But, I mean, you know, if a lot of the bigger defense or the bigger name defensemen are gone by the time they pick, if they want to just go with best player available, there could be some very, very good players still available at 11. All right, so let's stick at 11, assuming the Canucks don't trade down uh, prior to then. Um, You know, a handful of names have been linked to them, a Danielson, Willander. If you're looking, if you're sitting at 11, like which really stands out to you if if you're – you're managing the pick at 11. Uh, who do you want to rush to the podium with? Uh, one name that I really, really like at that range is Dmitry Simashev. Uh, and he's an interesting prospect, mostly because of his passport. You know, he, he's a Russian. He played in Russia all of this year. We didn't get to watch him at the big international tournaments. But when you watch him play, just based on talent alone, he's a player who, you know, you could really consider him in that top 10, maybe even pushing closer to five. If you just look at the total skill package, you know, he's a huge defenseman, about six foot four, lots of strength and athleticism, but he's an incredible skater. One of the best skaters in this draft at any position, forward or defense. And it's just so rare to see a guy his size with that kind of mobility. He's great laterally. His edge work is sharp. He's, you know, blazing fast in a straight line. And he played a little bit in the KHL this year as a 17-year-old, which is pretty rare. And he did not look out of place, you know, defending against the best players in that league. So he's really, really interesting. He could be sliding due to the concerns about the war in Ukraine and, you know, what we, the, the inability to watch him or talk to him as much as some of the prospects. But I think just on pure upside alone, if he's still there at 11, yeah, that would be a guy that I would sprint to the podium to announce. Him and Willander, I really like I... – you wouldn't be privy to this, but I'm pro defense on this show, right? I I, I love the defenders, but I look at those mm-hmm. two players like based on draft capital. I think they're phenomenal for for the defensive side of the game. But do you risk missing out on offensive upside and opportunities as we were talking about, like 17, 15 players that really thrive and and really start to push the ceiling of an organization? Do you miss out on offensive opportunities if you grab a Simashev or Willander? There's a little bit of risk to that, yeah. I mean, there there is always need for defensemen who can defend in the NHL, and I think that's increasing overall. I mean, you are seeing the league get a little bit better at, at uh, generating offense. Teams are scoring more than they were that long ago. You know, look at the likes of your Connor McDavid's, your Tage Thompson's. Like, you got these players who are just being become, becoming really, really talented, you know, franchise players offensively. So there is still a need for guys who can defend them as best they can and try and shut him down. But you're right. I mean, when you look at a lot of these players and just value as an asset, generally speaking, it's, it's offense that, that drives most of that value. The guys who score the most points are usually the ones who, you know, have the highest trade value, demand the most money in free agency. So there is a little bit of risk in that, in that sense. You know, you might take someone like Will Ander and he turns out to be a thousand game NHL defenseman but he might not be more than a 40 point scorer at his prime whereas you could have other players who might be available at that pick who are scoring 70 or 80 points a season as a forward 
So there is a little bit of a balancing act there. You know, do you try and go for the high octane, high offensive player now at, and, and at pick 11 and then try and shore up your defense later? It's possible, but it's, it's really hard to say. But with Simashev and Wielander in particular, I mean, both of these guys are still able to contribute offense. They're not strictly just shut down defensemen. They are guys who can contribute at both ends of the ice. So that might mitigate the risk a little bit there. A very popular name in our text inbox uh, is Zach Benson. Now, in, in McKean's mock, he goes all the way at 16 to the Calgary Flames. Um, why the the opinion on Zach Benson? And, and, and like what's the range to you? Because I, I, I feel like I could see him going 6, and I could feel like I'd see him going 18. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not unreasonable. There is a wide range of possibilities for where he could go. I mean, in terms of just talent, he, he's really good. He's a, an incredible player, just such a complete player, aside from the fact that he's not overly big and not you know, a blazing skater. But he's just incredibly smart. I mean, for my money, the, the single smartest player in this draft class, incredible work ethic, incredible consistency, great playmaker and stick handler, great shooter, an incredible defensive forward. I mean, he just always has the puck on the stick. When he doesn't have it, it doesn't take him much effort to get it back. He just sees the ice so, so well. He's always ahead of the play. And I understand why some NHL teams might be hesitant about him because there aren't a lot of guys with his combination of size and skating that are really successful in the NHL. So there is some risk there. I could see Benson sliding into the tens, into the teens, because teams are a little bit wary about that risk. So, yeah, maybe around 15 or 16 is where he ends up going. But I don't necessarily subscribe to that risk myself. I think he is a top 10 talent uh, all day, every day in this draft class. I think he is the type of player who is going to kind of buck the trend of the limitations of that size skating combination and be someone who really turns into a superstar in the NHL. Because I feel like the the concern is that there's no discernible trait, right? You mentioned size and, and skating, but decision-making and processing speed for him is off the chart. And so you can make up for all the other things. And it just so happens that in this draft class, there's so many guys that bring a discernible trait, like a Mitch Kov, like a Ryan Leonard, like an Oliver Moore, or uh, a Simashev, as we were talking about, that just in relation to the players around him, there's easy things that you can attach yourself to other players. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, if you really want something specific, this is kind of the draft to find it. Mm-hmm. Like with Ryan Leonard, for example, like if you really want a power forward, a guy who's going to get, um, he's going to go hard to the net, you know, he's going to get inside a lot. He's going to be a menace on the forecheck. He's great for that. Uh, Colby Barlow is a similar type of player. Uh, you've got someone like Matthew Wood. If you want someone who can play that heavy cycle game, who can hang on to the puck for extended periods down low, who can be a, just a pain in the butt to move from the net front, you can have that in him. But with Benson, you're right. There's not one specific sort of thing or one perfect way that you can kind of project him into a lineup in comparison to some of those other guys. He's more of that well-rounded talent as opposed to a true specialist. And sometimes that doesn't um, lend itself to as much draft capital. You know, you might have teams that prefer those guys that they can pencil into a roster a little bit more conveniently. But with Benson, you know, you have the luxury of flexibility. You can put him up and down the lineup from the first line to the fourth line, 
and he's still going to be an impact player who makes a positive difference for your club. Uh, you mentioned you're higher on him than, than maybe consensus. Uh, just in general, uh, for the first round, like who's kind of your your crush list? Like who, who who's your favorite first round prospect? And you can't say Connor Bedard. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to really just narrow it down to one or two. There's so many guys out there that have so much to offer in so many different uh, ways. Uh, one name that I really like that he gets a little bit of buzz, but he might be a bit of a sleeper pick as a first-rounder, and I don't even know if he will go in the first round, but I really like uh, Anton Wahlberg. He's a center out of Sweden. He had an up-and-down season. How much you like him kind of depends on the games you caught of him. But I was lucky enough to catch some games of his where he was at the very top of his ability, and man, was he just phenomenal! He's about six foot three, six foot four, a center who skates pretty well, but you know, he'll still need to work on it a little bit as he grows into his frame. But excellent puck handler, uh, great conditioning. You know, he's got a great pace to him when he's playing at his best. He'll skate up and down the ice, and he's just all over the place. He's always involved in the play. He's always winning pucks. Uh, I think there's a lot of raw potential to him you know you watch him right now and he's not quite all there at putting together all the different pieces but the long-term upside to him is really really intriguing i, I wouldn't say there's a hundred percent chance that his career is going to take that huge step in terms of development but if it does you have a guy who's going to be a top six center who just contributes all over the ice and brings a unique package of size and mobility to the table. Uh, let's go outside the first round, though. So uh, years from now, uh, you get to pat yourself on the back and say, hey, I always knew. I always knew about this guy. Uh, who is it for you? Uh, oh, there's a few names that you could kind of pencil in there. Um, Lay down really a marker. Like throw them all out. Throw them all out. <laughs> sure. So I, I really like an defenseman named R2 Karki. He played in the Finnish U-20 League this year. He's an interesting kind of case study. He's a little bit older for this class. He was a late birthday, so he's a 2004 birthday, not a 2005. And he didn't play uh, any pro games this year, and he didn't play for Finland at the World Juniors. But his junior team won a championship. Uh, he scored at just about a point-per-game pace, and he's just very, very toolsy. Made a lot of progress from last year to this year. Uh, like Wahlberg, he's got some size to him. He's got some mobility. He's really good with the puck. Um, he works the offensive blue line really, really well. He's elusive. He can make plays. He's a good shooter. His defensive game is still a little bit rough. Uh, sometimes his decision-making and awareness leave you wanting. But when I watch him play, I see a lot that's fixable in his game. He's got the tools to be a very good defender. Um, right now, he leans more on the offensive side of the puck. But I think you could get him to be a really high-end defensive player as well uh, in the right environment with the right coaching and development. So, yeah, he's a guy that I could see being a top-four defenseman in the NHL in the future, someone who plays in all situations and logs a lot of minutes. And he's probably going to be a guy who's still there in the middle of the second round, if not the late second round. So he's someone that I'm kind of hanging my hat on as, as a pick that I like that might be against the consensus a little bit. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks a lot for the time. Uh, enjoy the week and have fun. Hey, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. That's Derek Newmeyer uh, joining us from McKean's assistant director of scouting. Was that better on the ING, Dom? No. Scouting. That's fine. Because it's exactly meant to, well. No, because it's meant to be a hard G. You <laughs> struggle with the soft Gs.
Can we bring up like the the Google pronunciation of winger? Oh sure, give me one sec. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. A lot of texts uh, coming in. Uh, <laughs> the, the the people texting in the names that are now totally misspelt for the pronunciation. Uh, Nate from Comox, Oliver Moore. <laughs> uh, Bick is absolutely fire with the pronunciations today. Bick the emphasizer should be his new nickname. Here's how Google pronounces winger. 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 That, that sounded like a hard G. Winger. I don't know. Now you say it. Winger. That's better. I'm not trying to change anything. <laughs> you are. And, and from the text that came in earlier, it's like... Uh, I had to pull over. I'm crying. Help well, this man speak look, voice. <laughs> we'll go to a best of in the inbox right now. Uh, but there was one earlier where it said Bick saying he's not going to change for anything. It was also Nate from Comox. Uh, 650, 650. Um, I love the logic of, I've said it this way my whole life, so I can't. it can't be wrong. It sounds weird. Dom is right. I've said it before. You pronounce the gur part too much. It's simple. It's not that I'm not willing to change. I'm very flexible. I'm always willing to change for anything. But there's a guttural component to this of this is how I talk. And there's certain things that you can and cannot change. That's not true. I have a natural, I'm going to have a natural inclination to talk a certain way. And it's going to be tough to change things like hard G's. Look, if Rogers were to expense a dialect coach, I'm sure you would take part. Uh, there was a good text, though. Uh, ask him who the best winger is. <laughs> you did it again. Well, you well, switched back. The thing is, I'm, like now I'm just going to lean into the bit. I, I'm suddenly just not going to not stop doing it. Winger. That's a hard G. <laughs> Was that Google again? Yeah, that's, that's Google. Play it again. Winger. That's yeah. literally the same thing I'm doing. <laughs> it is. That's the official, screw all of you. <laughs> all this nonsense. And Google, who you all rushed to for anything, had it right. Winger. Boom. I'm ending the show early. We're done. How do you say the name of this city? Show's over. How do you say the Show's name of the, How do you say the name of this city? What's the name of the city? Vancouver. There's no G in Vancouver. I didn't put a G in it. Yeah, you did. We all do. And yet there's no G in the Vancouver. What are you talking about? If you're from Vancouver, you put a G after the N. It's just how naturally we say it from here. Vancouver? Yeah. No, no, no! Not the, not the end. You after said the, at the end. end. After the end, Vancouver. No, no one says Vancouver. But a second ago, I didn't put a G on it. Yeah, you did. You said Vancouver. 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 You're crazy. I'm gonna get backed up on this in the inbox once again. I feel like you did so good throughout the whole show. That looked like you were getting a lot of support, but now people are gonna be like, "John, no. what are you talking about?" It's Vancouver. Colin from Caribou. Six fifty. Six fifty. The steward pronouncing the H has crossed my mind many times when Bick hits the hard G on the ing sound. Uh, sorry, what's what? I, I missed that one. I don't want to repeat myself. All right. Uh, for, for all the people that texted in, uh, I said, uh, I said, elementary. Elementary? Yeah, uh, I screwed it up, but I did it on purpose. Because now Are you it was sure? Just no, I did it on Are purpose. Are you sure? I did it on purpose. But there was a few texts coming in. Uh, all right. East Van Tommy, as long as you don't let it linger. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys carry the show. 
Well done today. Uh, 650, 650. Vancouver is correct. There, text. It's literally not correct. Just because that's the way people say it is not correct. So people who live in Toronto, they say Toronto. That's incorrect? That's technically incorrect. Just yeah. because that's the way we societally say it, that does not mean it's the correct way to say it. But that's how people from there say it. So if you can understand what the person is saying, then it doesn't matter how, how it's pronounced. If I just say winger any which way, but you know I'm saying winger, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. Yet everyone lost their minds today. Oh, my goodness. Use logic then. Oh, my goodness. All right, we're out. I don't even know. What am I, am I supposed to read something on the way out? Did you do the draft coverage read? You did. We're fine. Yeah. Uh, You're good. Patrick Alvin uh, slated to talk pretty soon. Tomorrow, Tomorrow. Patrick Alvin will be talking at uh, what time is Central Time? 11 Central, 9, nine Pacific. Pacific. Right. Uh, Drance is on the ground. We're going to try and get audio for everyone. Well, we'd have audio anyways, but yes. Uh, all right, that's tomorrow. You'll hear from uh, General Manager Patrick Alvine for his pre-draft media availability. We're out of the way. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw, on the way. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet, 650. Winger.